This podcast was recorded at the American headquarters of the Ethereum Society, located in Hollywood, California, where service is the jewel in the rock of attainment. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Well, they're all over there this time. Moves around. That's right. Better watch you guys on that side. Come in when they're coming, Brian. <laughs> Get your assigned to them. Well, welcome, and uh, thanks for coming to um, the third class in our series of nine of the nine freedoms. And this one, of course, is on the third freedom, which is service. Service. And I'm uh, Brian Kniep. And I'm Richard Casada. And um, probably, we, why don't we start with a question that we had from the... Uh, podcast audience on the previous Freedom Love. One of the questions that was very interesting and um, something that bears some attention was how much does reverence for the target, and we spoke about love and sending love energy to a place or a person or a thing, and continuing, how much reverence, how much does reverence, excuse me, for the target play a part in the quality of the love you are sending out? That was a question posed. That's a, that's a very good question. And it's important to think about the word reverence. And normally you think of reverence as being um, someone uh, greater than you. And so it is, of course, very important to have a deep reverence if you're going to be um, sending some love or some prayers to, say, the mighty sun or the mother earth. But let's say you want to send a prayer to your pet dog or your cat. And then it's not often considered reverence, but if you think of reverence in a different way, reverence for life, if we're all one, if we're all a spark of God, we're all part of the absolute, then you can develop a reverence for all things. And again, what we learned in the last freedom that the love will go if you really consider yourself one, because that, that oneness really is almost a carrier for that love. And so the more that you do revere and really think of wherever you're trying to send your prayer as an aspect of God, it will help, definitely. Power of love. Very important. And the one thing we, we were going to mention and we haven't yet is it's important to remember that we are in a spiritual push. And this, this podcast, these classes started on the first day of the spiritual push. And uh, now we're, what, three weeks into the spiritual push. And to recap Two to weeks. those who, who are not familiar with what a spiritual push is, it is a period throughout the year, which are four segments in a year, of which an interplanetary craft comes into orbit of this planet, orbiting at 1,550 miles above the surface. And during its orbit... This crew of cosmic masters manipulates spiritual energies down to the earth upon all the realms, the physical realm being one of many, and provides to every person who performs a selfless act a magnification, an enhancement of a factor of 3,000 times. This is extremely important to understand 
and think about in your heart. Because here you have a golden opportunity, never before truly uh, in our history, that we can certainly uh, understand, that we have consciously a period in which we can cooperate with these cosmic beings who've come to our world with compassionate hearts, spending their precious time for we people, we warlike people, and give us this divine opportunity to help really change our planet in the now with this magnificent spiritual power. And goes back, once again, to the power of love, as we learned last week, and we will continue throughout the years of our life and into the future, that this power magnifies itself by a factor of four, this formula. It's an enormous, enormous opportunity for us to do wonderful good. So tonight we're going to go into service. Go to the next one. And as a recap, uh, remember the first freedom was bravery. And that's important because we, we live in this, this mire of materialism uh, that really keeps us down, keeps us selfish, really. And so to get over that, we have to develop bravery to get out of this, this um, mess of materialism that we're in. And once you kind of raise yourself up out of this materialistic mess through the bravery, what do you do? Then you start accessing this great power called love. And that's what we learned last time. And now we kind of get down into some real grassroots of some of the practical aspects of love in service. And we're going to get into that. And I think we ought to start uh, proper and listen to Mars Sector 6 pronounce the third freedom. Let us quiet our minds and assume a posture which is a sign of reverence for this great master. And again, tune into this great, wonderful power behind the words as well. Mark, track one. The third of freedom will be a service a freedom from a selfishness is a service A wonderful power, isn't it? It speaks of selfishness, and it's a word that we hear all the time. And from we're children, you're selfish. We say to someone else in our lifetime, somehow we're going to blurt it out, you're selfish. And indeed we have all been selfish in one form or another throughout our life. However, when a cosmic being of Mars Sector 6's status and makes this declaration uh, regarding selfishness, then we have to take great heed. A thought came to Brian and I today as we were preparing for today's podcast and class that a contemplation would be worthy of your time. And it is simply this, that if we view the world as your personal body, 
all the havoc, all the war, all the rape, all the horrible things that are happening. And it's happening in your body right now. What would you do about it? Would you neglect it? Would you just let it pass by? Or would you address it? So, in this case, selfishness, in many cases, is this ignorance of our body as a living cell, each of us here, in this wonderful, wonderful green world that we live upon. And this cosmic master is addressing directly to the heart of the matter regarding selfishness in its opposite, which is selflessness. You know, it's... On the one hand, it seems obvious, I suppose, that selfishness is bad. But if you think about how, how we live in the West, especially, it's, it's almost like a, it's a badge of honor, almost. You know, people kind of brag about their cars and, and their houses and, their, and their, um, their clothes and their tennis shoes and whatnot. And it's, it's almost gotten to the point where a little bit of selfishness is okay. You, know, you, have, you have more, more stuff and it's kind of a good thing. You see these little um, license plates that say, he with the most toys wins. And this is kind of an attitude that um, our society anyway in the West um, propagates. And it's, it's being said here that it's really it's going the exact wrong direction. And it's, it's, it's kind of concentrating on the separateness of everyone. In other words, because if I've got lots of stuff, there's only a finite amount of, of stuff on, on earth. And so if I've got lots of stuff, then other people have got to have less stuff. Kind of causing a separation. Like, why should I have more stuff than you? And he goes on, Mark 6, and he says, doesn't say that selfishness is, is bad, but he says that freedom from selfishness in other words, it's, it's like a disease. It's something that, it, that, that holds you down. It, it's painful. It brings with it painful karma. And so freedom from this selfishness is service. And then he goes on and tells you how to free yourself through service. You know, there's a, there's a brilliant, brilliant uh, transmission, a message to Earth from the great bright angel from Venus that we know as the master of theories. And he puts it very simply in a cosmic voice dated in 1961, uh, number 25 for those who will follow through and acquire this particular jewel of a cosmic voice, which was the uh, public organ, the printed organ of the Ethereum Society, and continues to this day to be so. Uh, in one of the wonderful, wonderful uh, series of blessed truths that he gives to our world, he says very simply this, and this is a quote. How can you spend many lives in selfish appreciation without depreciating? And if you think about that statement, it is so true. We are constantly depreciating should read that again, because those words aren't normally put together. Let's read it again. All right, let's do it again for emphasis. How can you spend many lives in selfish appreciation without 
depreciating. That's really a great way of saying, saying it. In a polite way, too. Right to the point. Um, at this point, why don't we continue to read a little bit further into the ninth, uh, to this service. All right. Freedom. This is again from Mars Sector 6. And this follows directly from the quote that we just heard. In these days, there is much service which is vitally important to Terra. There are few servers. Service is a culmination of experiences which denote the server as being on the ladder of evolution, firmly on this ladder. Those who have a yearning desire to serve, and indeed are doing so, are those who have slain selfishness, are those who are gradually overcoming their lower materialistic aspects, are those who are, sometimes slowly, but nevertheless surely, advancing towards enlightenment. And of course, enlightenment is number four. Next week, we will get into this. As it continues, and we can go on, of course, and this is the beauty about the podcast, is that we're here to spend a few minutes to speak about this wonderful mystical text, this collection of wondrous teachings given from this great cosmic source. However, in the service... The Master says, if you would burn up your lower karmic aspects, you would serve. Well, we're constantly thinking about our lower karmic aspects. How can we improve ourselves on a day-to-day basis? How can we make some dramatic change in our life quickly and, and not quite effort, effortlessly, but certainly directly? And he, once again, in his very brilliant, simple way, he says, service to the world will improve your life, and at the same time, improve someone else's life automatically, but you will burn, at the same time, your karmic dross, in a way. This dross that you carry, we carry all, this karmic baggage with us, day by day. So you're accomplishing, every day, wonderful changes in your karmic pattern. And today we have a wonderful excerpt from the Master, which we'll play in this evening's study group, uh, and he specializes in the the, uh, topic of karma. We can never hear enough about what karma is, how it moves and shapes our life, and how we can impact it. Are you jumping ahead again, Richard? I'm always jumping ahead. He's always jumping ahead. We've got got another extract by Mars Sector 6 this time uh, that precedes. Do we hear that one? Let's go. That's That's a beautiful extract, which really puts the exclamation point on service. So let's, let's again sit up straight and listen to these powerful words from Mars Sector 6 on service. Number two, Mark. The greatest yoga is service. The greatest religion is service. The greatest act is that act done in service? He's pretty definite. One reason why I love, um, why I love this whole, this whole freedom, but it, 
you know, for anyone who's done lots, uh, lots of reading, or any reading for that matter, um, on yoga, the standard texts tend to put karma yoga at the bottom. That's the first step. It's like if you go to a master and you want to do kundalini yoga or nana, nana yoga, etc., and you aren't quite there, they'll say, oh, you aren't ready yet, go out and do some karma yoga to kind of burn up your karma and then come back. And that's the way it's been for thousands and thousands of years. And we're now being told that it's now the complete opposite. The king of all karma, of all yoga now, the most important yoga is karma yoga, the yoga of service. And this applies now goes into the religion. Most of the religions of the world are very confined to the parishioners, very confined to their particular way of belief. And if you have a belief that's outside or away from their particular belief, then you are considered an outsider. You don't understand that their path to God or their worship is more elevated. So therefore you are less than. Here this master, Mars Sector 6, absolutely puts the stamp upon the world's uh, uh, qualifications of what religion is, and that religion is service. It is no longer whether or not you wear the robe, or you wear the, the, the bow to the east to, to Mecca, or you have a cross. It, it's no longer symbology, it's a direct statement. And this is where we're at today. The vagueness of what we believe in, or what you believe in, it comes to the point what Handsome says, Handsome does, and vice versa. So, in other words, if we are truly wishing to gain a hold of this freedom and have it live in our life, then we need to follow these precepts, which is religion is service. The That's greatest religion. The greatest religion. Absolutely. Now, you had a, a very good um, reading to, uh, to read, I think, didn't you? Yes. Once again, we will start to introduce a few other uh, holy works uh, presented to earth for the benefit of all mankind. The Ethereum Society is and are the custodians of these cosmic teachings. However, these teachings are for everyone. No matter what your age, race, color, creed, it is for everyone. So in the book I'm going to read from, it's called The Three Saviors Are Here. And I think we referred to this book last week. Mm. Um, however, there is a wonderful part in this book that applies to service in these days. And I'll read. Once again, this is uh, from our master who is writing in a commentary <clears throat> during this book. We are now in the Aquarian age, the age of service to the masses. No longer are the systems of isolation recommended by the true teachers. As a matter of fact, like it or not, and some of us may not like it, the systems now recommended in this age or in this stage of the evolution of mankind as a unit are just the opposite from isolation. The Aquarian Age, with its emphasis on improvement of the conditions for the mass of humanity, demands the metaphysician to spend his time in service among men, 
rather than isolating himself from mankind as he has been recommended to do throughout the past centuries in order to enjoy personal bliss. As the Aquarian experience cycle advances, more and more emphasis will be placed upon service in order to improve the educational systems and living conditions of the majority. It might might be a good point just to open up for any kind of questions um, that anyone might have or comments. Service is... um, it kind of has a bad rap, really, doesn't it? Service. It's, yeah. uh, it, you think of the, the term servant, and you, you think of someone lower, someone not really um, as, as high as you are, kind of a thing. Or it has no value in a way. It's like evaluating a service mm. person is a person who's a housekeeper in a hotel, or uh, you know, some form of a gasoline attendant, uh, some, some basic uh, vocation that people have. We're not talking, even though the language is the same, it's like service, in this case, is a freedom. It is a freedom which we need to truly live if we wish to enjoy spiritual evolution. Actually, he puts a, um, Mark chapter 6 puts a nice spin on it too, which I think kind of helps make service a lot more exciting. And this is a really great sentence. He goes, serve in the great spiritual battle. And you can walk with head high and stand in any hall unafraid to read what be written there. That kind of gives service another another spin. It it makes it almost like a uh, a spiritual warrior. Um, And that's kind of an exciting term, spiritual warrior. Um, But in our mind, and what Mark 6 is saying, a spiritual warrior focuses on service. He helps people. In all ways, in many, many ways, all the time. That's what he, he strives to do is help people. And, of course, you can look at the mighty sun. And the sun spends all of its time in service to us. There's this great, great, wonderful God, and it spends 24 hours a day sending out tremendous love and energy and pranas all throughout the solar system. That is a great example of service. It makes, to me, it makes it very exciting. Imagine if one of these great cosmic beings, all this talk about the Mother Earth, decided, well, I don't fancy having mankind on my body any longer. I think I'm just going to boot him right off. And I might move myself in the position of the solar system. Or for that matter, take myself and move myself right across the galaxy. What's stopping her? The fact that she has great compassion for mankind. And if that compassion is a reality, and we all nod our heads and say, we understand that's a reality. We may not know how it all functions on a day-to-day basis because she is a planetary goddess, a cosmic being. However, we are upon her. Therefore, it's, isn't it an obligation to consider her and consider our alignment with her and act in such a way that we are in harmony with nature, her nature, that nature of service? That's what prayer is too. Like when you pray for the world, you aren't expecting anything back from the world necessarily. You're just you're, you're asking. You want to try and help uplift the world, and that prayer really is is normally um, selfless and 
not asking for anything back. Obviously, we aren't talking about the kind of prayer we heard last uh, Wednesday with the Janis Joplin song. Yes, we aren't talking about that particular no, kind of prayer. No, no. no. no those, those of you in podcast land didn't hear us play that, but during our um, presentation, we actually interrupted and segued to Janis Joplin's Mercedes-Benz. We played that for the people attending her at the temple, and uh, it got a laugh, of course, and a little bit of a premium. I can sing a little bit of it if you want. Uh, no, thank you, Brian. No. But, uh, yes, watch it. And I found out today that we just digest the, the oysters from the service and cook their shellfish. Uh, <laughs> yes. That was one of our, he's our house comedian, uh, Wajid Hassan. That you may have seen him on several movies. He's an actor. And what was that joke you said, Watch it. Say it louder. <coughs> I heard today the Reader's Digest that oysters are not into service because they're shellfish. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> True. 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 Very, 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 very deep, that one. Yeah. Yes, yes. Well, I think we're going to move into we move on and an, uh, extract from, an extract from the master. Uh, this is our first extract for the evening from our master. And that is um, on the transmutation of religions, and that'll be track three. Mark, could you play that one? We'll see that service is becoming more and more important in these days because it is the new yoga of the age. It is the new religion. It will bypass all other religions. It will see all other religions out and transmuted into religions of service. And now I'll throw something out on the astral realms and the mental realms of this earth and hearken to it because here is a prophecy which will turn out to be true as sure as you are and I am. There will come a day when all religious beliefs will be transmuted into the action of service to others. And those religions which today, and there are some, are purely academic religions, will be replaced. They'll be wiped off the surface of the earth if necessary. And this too appertains to all societies, clubs, committees, whatever they might call themselves, as belonging to this, that or the other, unless those organizations are planned or can be planned in such a way that they give service to others, even if it's only to two or three, nevertheless give service to others, they will be replaced. There is no place for them in the new world. They cannot be. Now, there are many organizations about which are giving service. They're giving service to the people who belong to the organization. They often give service to people outside. There are organizations which send out prayers and help and healing and so on to all the world, irrespective of who they are. Such organizations as these will last. But those very tight little cliques, and there are some in this country and in Europe, who are only concerned with some teaching which came through 200 years ago anyway, and they are now purely theoretical organizations, can close their book today or it'll be closed for them. 
that's it. And those statements are now stamped on the Akashic records and can never be erased by anyone. And they are true, as you will see. Most of you already realized this, maybe even realized it years ago, and are serving in one way or the other. I know some of you belong to groups who are serving by sending out healing and power and so on to the world and to the country as well as to your own congregations. You are the people who will succeed. No matter what is thrown against you, you will succeed. statement. That's why he's the master. Uh, I, I want to read this one quote, another quote um, about service. And this is, might kind of help us hone in uh, on what service is. What is service but love in practical action? Isn't that just a great statement? I mean, you, you can't, well, I guess you could, but most of us wouldn't spend all of our time doing prayer, doing 12 blessings 24 hours a day. It would be kind of hard to do that. We are told that that's a goal, but most of us are not going to be doing that. And so you can still send out your love through the rest of the time by helping others. And there's so many ways to help others. Just, uh, uh, well, I think everyone knows that there's so many different ways to help others. It's also good to, to think when you are helping someone else, you're, you're, you're obviously manipulating your karma, but might you also be manipulating their karma a little bit? Taking on some of their karma. You know, we're told that the great masters do that. Of course, they do that brilliantly in the way they do that. But... Perhaps, just perhaps, if we are going about our day and we've got certain places we have to go and things we have to do, etc., and we see someone that needs some healing. You know, we're very busy, we're, we're, we've got a deadline, etc., but we stop. We stop what we're doing and we go and we help that person. We give them healing. Is that possible that we're taking on some little bit of their karma. We're helping them. We're, we're taking time out of our day. We're using our energy to help them, to uplift them. It's a thought to throw out. It's a wonderful thought. And it, it, keep, it resounds throughout the nine freedoms. It resounds throughout the message of the cosmic masters throughout the many years. It resounds that we are a part of the whole. And in sending out the pure love energy to those who suffer, those who require it. Um, obviously, all of us require love. There's not a single one of us that doesn't require it. And our Master certainly loved being loved. We have here visiting from New Zealand, the Right Reverend Raymond Nielsen, uh, and he knows very well about love and loving the Master, and being loved by the Master. And I witnessed many, many years of this man, Ray, um, giving 
his love to this great spiritual leader and changing the days and the weeks and the months and the years to be tolerable. Um, the master, for a moment, speak about him. He was a man of flesh and blood, and he suffered illnesses throughout his lifetime. And Ray Nielsen was one of his chief healers. And if it wasn't for the fact that Ray made himself available um, at odd hours of the day and into the wee hours of the morning throughout the years, then this spiritual leader may not have been able to complete his mission to earth in such a wonderful fashion, uh, unencumbered by the diseases that could have beset him, save the love that was given to him by this man who sits in our audience tonight. So thank you, Ray. Thank you very much. Um, Thanks for coming. Yes, all the way from New Zealand. He's here on a mission. Uh, did he come well. to the podcast, Ray? Or? I hope so. That's what I heard. <laughs> Jude. One actual question was the what you just said about picking up other people's karma to help them and uplift them. Uh, how would you uh, relate that to forgiveness of sin? If one could pick other people's karma and then uplift them and it's all done and you've helped them, would that mean that also they have for, they have been forgiven of? the reason why they're suffering in the first place. No, no, I wouldn't, uh, I would, you know, we're told many, many times that uh, sin is not forgiven because sin is, um, you, you know, all of karma is a lesson. It's, it's a classroom. It's a lesson you're learning. And so if, if, if someone t- takes away um, your lessons, then you don't learn, you see. So it, that doesn't happen. Um, the manipulation of karma, we're told, um, shifts the lesson, some of the weight. In other words, you, someone might have a tremendous um, burden of their karma on their back, and, and they're teetering, they aren't able to handle it. So you might come and you might kind of take some of it and from them for a short period of time, and then give it back to them when they get stronger and they're able to do it better. That's kind of more what happens. It's not like you take a little bit off and then all of a sudden it all goes away. You, you see what I mean? There's a difference between forgiveness and transmutation. Mm. And that's the power of love. Is when we send love energy, this cosmic energy to someone who needs this power, it is a transmuting energy. So it will, not might, it will impact their mind and their heart. And given your intensity, given your repetition, given your dedication, given your repeating over and over this desire to help this person will dictate the speed of their recovery if it's a disease or if it's a mental impairment by an attitude that's so, so fixed, like anger or some jealousy. Prayer with the true power of love can do miracles and just takes time. So it is a matter, it's not so much a forgiveness, it's an understanding of the great laws and see how they work and make them work for you. The man who asked this question, by the way, Jude, 
is one of our finest healers in the Ethereum Society, bar none. He's a wonderful, wonderful yeah. soul on earth. And thank you very much for that very astute question. We need more questions like that. Um, so as we go into this, I'd like to bring up one of the interesting phrases that this cosmic being, Mars Sector 6, speaks. And he says in two words, kill, possession. Killing possession, what do, you, what do you possess? Then each and every one of us, we have to look at what we possess. Is he thinking, or is he expressing only about physical things? Is he speaking also of an attitude that you possess? Is he speaking about a man and woman's relationship? I possess her, she's mine. How far do we extend this possession? And I think we can extend it all the way. Because he doesn't necessarily have to qualify. It is and a mental frame of mind. It's kind of, it is really strange how we possess and hold so dear that which is really not ours. So it's, materialism is very, it ties into possession. It ties in, but just not materialism in the sense of things. It's an attitude that we hold on to. We possess an attitude as well. We possess a, a certain kind of like thought pattern. Well, kill the possession and be mutable, be transmutable. The freedoms, the nine freedoms, allows us this wonderful, wonderful new view on life, a fresh, bright, new dawn, in which, I'll read this, I'll read this here, enlightenment, which is the next freedom, which we'll study next week. Enlightenment, like the break of dawn upon the darkest night, will cast the shadows of this night before it. We're now living in that darkest night uh, because of possession and materialism. And it, it's, it's, a great, it's a great hope that along the path of service, we will eventually break through this darkness and arrive at enlightenment. That's, that's, a, that's a beautiful statement as mm. well. So this Aquarian age, which we just read that one excerpt, it speaks of the transformation that's occurring worldwide. We can feel it. We can see it. The people of the world, not the politicians, but the, are wishing change. They're looking at each other and saying, why do we need to fight over possessions? I be it oil or whatever the, the commodity may be. We, we are on the same world. And so Who's this saying world, that? Who's saying that? Most people say that they're still fighting over these things. That's what I'm saying. There's people out there that want to stop this madness of this Possession I own, you have, I don't have. Yes, Wajid. The thought comes about, uh, the thought that came into my mind was uh, Andrew Carvey, who, who just accumulated so much, you know, was such a materialist, and then toward the end of his life, he realized that he had to just give it all away. And that's what he did. More recently, uh, William Buffett. Did a similar thing. Well, that, that's a good point. I mean, if you really look at the two richest people in the world, um, uh, Bill Gates and uh, William Buffett, have both given away pff, together what sixty, I think sixty billion dollars or something like that. So it's a, it, it's perhaps it's a, it's a it's a start of a change. I mean, when when in the past uh, wor world history did the richest people do something like something like that? Uh, Carnegie is an example, um, but it's pretty rare. And in these days, just I think just happened a year or two ago, uh, where they, they kind of combined forces and 
I think it's about $60 billion is in that uh, fund now. That's, that's a wonderful um, sign of the times ahead, we hope. And here we have the master, Mars Sector 6, say, Serve, and the mighty power of Kundalini will rise in natural, unforced fashion. And open the chakra jewels in your higher bodies. In will pour inspiration, and you will be standing on the verge of initiation into adeptship. These are not idle words. These are promises, divine promises. Can we say that we can go to a yoga school and have a teacher tell us the same thing? Would we believe them? There is something to be said about changing your mind and allowing these truths to enter, not discolored, not conditioned, not transformed so that you can possibly understand it tomorrow. This is straightforward English, right to the heart of the matter. And there's no excuse any longer for misinterpretation. It it's also goes right to the point, too. In the old days of the yoga uh, masters, they would say, do your service first so that you can then come and learn the kundalini yoga and then go and raise the kundalini up. Here we're being told, unnecessary. Do the service. Focus on the most important thing now, today, for everyone else, and then, through the service, your kundalini will rise in a natural, unforced fashion. And with that, we'll, we'll segue into the next extract from the Master George King. Extract, uh, his extract number two on karma. And that will be track four, Mark. If you would burn up lower karmic aspects, you would serve. A lot of people have said to me, well, what about this karma business? How on earth do we get over karma? Well, the answer is you cannot get over karma. But you, every act you do is either good for you and good for others or bad for you and bad for others that your karmic pattern is changing second by second all the way through your life, uh, both in the waking state and in the sleep state. It's a, it's a gradual change. It's a gradual movement. It's like if you were to see it, you'd see it like a fluctuation of numerous colors all forming themselves into a certain pattern. And that pattern is your particular Akashic pattern. And when you come into the supra-conscious state, you can read that Akashic pattern and read on it all your actions right the way down through your past lives, both good actions according to law actions and actions which aren't according to law. I don't mean the karmic law now, I mean the basic law, the law of the divine, if you like. So... Uh, it's just like a book. It's called an Akashic book. It's not a book with pages as we know, and yet it's even a more sure record. Well, now here we're told something in a two or three simple words, something which is difficult, but nevertheless something which is simply told, that if we serve others, we automatically make for ourselves what might be called a positive karmic pattern and this is another thing too. We transmute 
that part of karma which is on the wrong side, or in other words, what might be called, for want of a better terminology, negative karma. You see, we have to face one fact, and whether we like it or not, and I don't think any of us like it if we are truthful, nevertheless we have to face this fact, and that is, divine justice is just. No matter whether we have yellow skins, black skins, red skins, or white skins, it's still the same justice, and it's absolutely, completely just. And the law of karma is completely fair and completely just on every living thing. Even a cat and a dog comes under this law, a stone comes under it. The air we breathe comes under this great basic law and it's just perfectly just, perfectly fair in every way. And we cannot escape in one way or another. We get to such a uh, a pitch, by the way, when we can help the law, when we can use the karmic law to help ourselves. And when we get to that pitch, we know then that it's no kind of a punishment or no kind of a bond on us, but it's there for our benefit. So, if you would alter your karma, you would serve because you, are, you cannot serve without altering your karma, especially in these days. He, he gives away a, a real important secret there. You know, often when you hear people talk about karma, they'll say, if you kill somebody this life, you'll be killed next life, to learn the lesson of not killing. But he's saying in here that that's not necessarily the case because you can transmute your karma. That the whole point of karma is not to punish. The point of karma is to teach. And so if through service you can learn the lesson that you would have learned by being killed in, a, in a, another life, then you would transmute the necessity for that exact reaction, because you would have learned the lesson. And there was a wonderful example um, in the movie about uh, Mahatma Gandhi, mm -hmm. where this Indian uh, came up to Mahatma Gandhi and said, um, help me, um, I, I, I've done this terrible thing, I've killed this 11-year-old Muslim child. And um, I, I feel horrible, and I don't know what to do. And so uh, Mahatma Gandhi said, what you do is this. You go and find a, an 11-year-old uh, Muslim and you, uh, without, whose father had been killed, let's say, and adopt him, and you raise him as a Muslim. And through that process, he didn't say, but we can conclude from through that process, he will learn many, many, many things. And if he does it properly with, with true love in his heart, then the likelihood is that he will transmute that necessity of, being, of needing to be killed the next life. And it's a, great, it's, a great, uh, it's a great lesson, and it's a great thing to keep 
on top of your head because the way that we can transmute our negative karma in the past, and we all have it, otherwise we wouldn't be here. And the best way to do that is through service. The Master says, break away from your own troubles by concentrating upon the suffering of others. And we all, once again, let's talk honestly, we all think about our own troubles, our loneliness, uh, the lack of support, the lack of understanding, the lack of, the lack of, etc., etc. Replacing that concentration of energies as the God-children that we are, that these wonderful cosmic masters have repeatedly, through the years, have expressed that we are creators. So obviously we've created a world of all these terrible situations. But at the same time, with that same creative energy, we can transform the world. And this is where we're going. This is where service is. It is releasing that concentrative, negative creative ability of creating a world of dismal, selfish, neediness, and say, well, there's people across the planet, our brothers, and by the way, our family... In the, in the book of Karma, the Master King speaks about it's not on the top of the list of karmic impact. It's not the top of the list of the best thing to spend the rest of your life just taking care of your family. Well, well I, actually, he says it doesn't even count. It doesn't count. I'm being polite. He's, he's very direct. It doesn't count in the sense that in the karmic book, our brothers, the cosmic masters have spoken throughout the years, your closest brother is a Chinaman who may be communist right here, right now, on this world. I just want to correct that statement. It doesn't count, but if you don't do it, it would probably count. You know what I mean? Yes. I mean you know, you, you, it's kind of like you're expected to uh, be nice to your family and your friends. Okay? And so in, in a way, it doesn't count. But if you aren't nice to your family and friends, obviously then it will count on the negative side. I'd like to relate the uh, fantastic story uh, in the life of the uh, wonderful uh, Lord Buddha, uh, who was visiting a village and a very rich uh, member of that area who lived apart from the village, who had a house on the hill, uh, very, very well off with servants. And her, her child was sick and dying. And the woman came down to <coughs> beg to see the Lord Buddha to plead for this child's life. And the, the Lord Buddha said, um, yes, um, suffering is, is very, very bad. And she said, well, I'll do anything. I'll give you any, any money you want. Can you help my child? And he said, well, he said, I will help. He said, but you have to do one thing for me. And uh, she said, what's that? She said, I want you to go into the village and find me a house without suffering. And when you found that house, come back and I'll save your child. Mm. And <laughs> she went into the village, of course, that she hadn't been to, and she went into each of the houses and she found such suffering that she could never believe it existed. Mm. And uh, she came back and she, you know, fell before the Buddha and said, I understand what, you, what you're talking and what you're telling me. Mm -hmm. I, I will come down and 
my riches will be used in, in helping these poor people. I have no idea of their suffering. So she ended up as a, as a person who was devoted her life to service. Wonderful story. I have uh, something to say. <coughs> I belong to an organization called Sai Baba oh, yes. of India, Puttaparthi. But I am originally from Sri Lanka, which is a Buddhist, predominantly Buddhist country, born to a Roman Catholic family. <laughs> and I have been a citizen here for the last 30 years. Now, through our organization, on a regular basis, we feed the homeless people, weekly, sometimes daily, depending on the groups of people who are doing this work, clothing, all that kind of thing, and giving blankets during winter time. We investigated and we found that, uh, you know, the laundries, cleaning places, mm -hmm. they have clothes washed and kept, pressed and kept. No, the people have not come and collected them. These have got accumulated over the years and they didn't know what to do with them. I found a place in Westport, the biggest one. They have their workshop, everything inside. And I spoke to the manager. He said, well, we have lots of clothes, but I need a letter from your organization signed by your secretary or somebody that I have. No problem. I brought it. I said, what is the value of the clothes? We wrote that so that they got a tax relief of that. We got a truck load of clothes from that place. We took them to Santa Monica in front of the city hall. You find about 400 people there every mm -hmm. evening. Mm -hmm. oh, you know, homeless people distributed them. So it worked both ways, you know. We helped them as well as these people here. That's a wonderful yeah. story. Very nice. That's a great idea. That's service. That's a form of service without a shadow of a doubt. It's a win-win. It is win-win. It is win-win. <clears throat> there is there's a, um, there's a haunting question almost. It, it kind of has resounded throughout the years. And when, when those of us who come across these wonderful teachings and wonderful light of inspiration pours down upon our, our minds and we are illuminated. The question comes, what can we do today? Let's say we can't necessarily acquire the clothes for the homeless people. What can we do in a practical way of service? And therein lies the second freedom. That's, if you look at the strategy of what this cosmic being has done, he is leading us along the path. And so it's not detaching from the first two freedoms. It is the combination of bringing bravery and love and applying it in service to the world. And so there are many ways. And so those of you who are listening out there, there is a wonderful book which we'll refer to today, and it is in regards to spiritual healing. It is a wonderful form of service. It teaches so many aspects of the divine laws and how we play such a vital role and how to contact this divine energy. 
So I'll refer you to a book called You Too Can Heal by Dr. George King. It was penned in 1975, and every word, every technique in this book is safe, safe, and practical, thereby the results will be not so much immediate, because sometimes some people are very difficult to heal. The master said once, talking about this, he said, question was asked, can all diseases be healed? He says, yes, all diseases can be healed, but not all people. But consistent, the consistent onslaught, almost like a campaign, like a war. You have a person that has a, a disease. We've talked about this in the last freedom. A person has a disease. Your one spiritual healing treatment may not resolve that disease, but consistent healing for days and weeks and months, your unbridled attention to the, the outcome which you visualize predetermined is that they will improve in their health. That is service. Leap across the world now. In Baghdad, and not to use the Iraq war as an example, but there is horrible atrocities occurring now that your attention can be directed towards. There are people who are being murdered, not only in Iraq and Baghdad or across that country, but all over the world, in the Sudan. What's happening to these souls when they're released from their body on a daily basis? What's happening when they project out their body, blown up to bits or stabbed or killed? What's happening to these people? This is what you have the capacity of changing. You can spend your time, let's say tonight, and send your power to these souls. Thousands of people in the world tonight are, are suffering by the release of a horrible, murderous act and off to the plains and wandering, wandering. Your power of love, the second freedom, directing it to these souls and asking God to help soothe them, to give them the guidance in their, in their new direction because they, they're directionless. They don't have a direction. This is the kind of service that we're talking about, not just the one person, but the many. So you have a wide bandwidth of applications. You don't have to just specialize on your family or your friend, but you can leap across the world and see on the front page of any newspaper and you have multiple targets. Well, the important thing really is to to have the confidence that you will help. And, and you know, it's one thing to, to see these terrible things happening, but it, it's so easy to say, well, what can I do? Uh, or, or do a prayer and say, well, I sent this prayer up, but what is it really doing? And then you can go back to this book and you can realize that it is doing some good. And the more that you do it, the more good you will be able to do. And this is not just um, a hobby, but this is the path back to God. So the more you do this, the more you're helping others, the more you're progressing, the more you help others, on and on and on and on. And it's, it's what we're meant to be doing in these days. Before we go to the next extract, one last thing. If you don't do it for yourself, these acts white magic, then do it for the planet upon which we reside. Imagine her sensitivity 
to what's happening upon her body. Because she has a consciousness that thinks far more deeper, far more broader than we will for millions and millions of lifetimes. This being has to suffer in one form or another the atrocities that we perform on one another. So if we can't think about ourselves today, why don't we think about how she can be helped by our direct action of performing divine love magic. And this is the service that the Master of Mars Sector 6 speaks of. Remember that she's held herself up since the days of Atlantis for us. Long, long time. So, Mark, why don't we then move on now to... Extract number five. By your service, you can throw a dazzling beam of scintillating white vibrant energy into the darkness of a suffering world and raise it it is by God it is the jewel in the rock of attainment. Mars Sector 6 has such a way of instilling confidence, I think. And that's the real blessing that we have his words and we can go back and listen to his words and if things are going tough or things are going hard or we're having difficulties in our life we can go back and pick out an extract here or there from the, the nine freedoms and lift yourself back up and not only lift yourself back up but, it, but it's you draw some of the vibration of this great master and it empowers you and it gives you more energy to help so many people around you that need help. It's a good time to read another part of um, a holy work um, and that is here. This is out of the cosmic voice to which I refer to, number 25. You must choose between mental stimulation and spiritual action. You people upon Terra are oft-times looking for what you term as excitement. You search here, you search there. Things interest you until the interest wanes. Do you know that the interest has waned because some spark within you tells you that this or that is not true. Spiritual service, my friends, is not romantic. It is hard. It needs patience. It is a very difficult road. What will you do? Be like animals who feel the grass in the next field is greener than their grass? Or will you judge full well and having judged, stand fast? 
the standing fast is the trial. And we have all, and once again, we're in this boat together, we have all reached heights of uh, uh, spiritual accomplishment and we've had great and glorious days and the trial comes and that trial is hard and we may fail it. But in the failing, we learn the lesson from it and go redouble our efforts and come back into the fray again. Because it is, ladies and gentlemen, a war. We are at war. There is a spiritual battle that's been waging on this world for a long time. And mankind, each and every one of us, has let a few people fight these battles alone. Where in our heart lies a brilliant spark that we can illuminate and throw out into the world and join the battle as warriors, spiritual warriors. Because there is a great tide of evil. There is obviously evil afoot. And we are able to successfully wage a campaign using the great divine power which we have as a divine right and employ that power every day and as we look each day as a campaign, as we look each day as a, as a battle, then we can alter our mindset and say, today, where is the fight? The fight is either in our city, the fight is in another country. We can engage in that fight. And that's the kind of attitude that you can raise yourself quickly through karmic actions of this caliber, at the same time impact so many millions of people. It's important to look at what they tell you are some of the tools of the battle. And we've heard in the first freedom that fear is one of the primary tools of the dark forces that are designed to kind of hold us back. And in this freedom, Mark sector 6 states, if you would be free from the materialistic prison cunningly devised to enslave you, you would serve. So here he's also saying that materialism itself, which we find ourselves immersed in, is also a prison. And the way to get out of it is through service, through love. And it takes bravery. We have the pleasure of announcing tonight from our temple here in Los Angeles, of an upcoming series of pilgrimages to holy mountains of this planet. And Brian, I think it would be a good opportunity to talk about um, these holy mountains and what they signify. Well, what that's, they a, that's a wonderful way of, of giving service. Um, we have in Los Angeles, we're fortunate to have a holy mountain right in our midst, Mount Baldy. Uh, now, there are 19 holy mountains around the world, and these are mountains that were charged by the cosmic masters, the initial charge going through uh, our master, Dr. George King, and it was done to give us a battery, to give us a source of energy that anyone can contact and send out tremendous power and energy. 
It has been said that if you go onto one of these mountains in these days, you can send out as much love and light as only an adept could have done in the past. And that's a tremendous amount of energy. And you can really feel that energy when you're up there doing especially the 12 blessings. And the next one that we have in Los Angeles will be on May 19th. And of course, we have these pilgrimages all over the world. Yes, in England as well. We have mountains in New... Uh, even one in New Zealand, I understand. Now, an opportunity. This, uh, ladies and gentlemen, in the, in the old texts of our world's history, there are stories told about holy mountains that were available to special people, gifted people, unique people, and people climbed the mountains and they followed, uh, let's say, Moses of Mount Sinai. There have been many mountains that adepts would charge and use as positions of transmitting vital energies to the world as a whole. However, the energy was not universally available to all people. And I'm speaking about children as well as adults. Mm -hmm. These 19 mountains are available all arms wide open to every human being that steps upon them. We should say quickly, too, that if you want to find out where these mountains are uh, and you're listening to this podcast, you can go on to the website and it lists all the holy mountains, uh, where they are, and it also will list when the pilgrimages are for these mountains. So yes. you possibly can. Uh, you know, we're just talking. And so you can believe us or not, but the only way you will really know is to go. Go to one of these mountains and that feel right. for yourself. Oh, Paul, that's good. Uh, do you know the website? Our website is www.atherius.org. <coughs> Mind you, we, we say this, it's kind of like funny, because they will, obviously you, you have to listen to the podcast going on to www.atherius.org. However, not necessarily. Exactly. Well, we thought about this. We had some deep thinking. Right. Well, if you downloaded it and gave it to a friend, they may not be able, they're not on the website at that time because they're listening to this podcast or one of the podcasts. So we'll, we're going to repeat our website from time to time. And as you're on this website and talking about these holy mountains, let's um, look at a book which explains a very inexpensive book. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, the Ethereum Society, the publications, presented or offered to the world are very, very, very low in cost, nominal, nominal fees, charges. It's extraordinary how, from the very beginning, Dr. George King started the spiritual renaissance with a little bit of money, hard work, dedicated disciples who came around him, followers, and has continued to maintain a structure of non-profit, charitable actions with very little funds. It's amazing. So there's a book on the online store called The Holy Mountains of the World. It was written by the Reverend Charles E. Abrahamson, founder director of the American Corporation of the Ethereum Society. And it is an excellent book to explain in detail the nature of each mountain, the, the caliber of energy, the uniqueness between the mountains, and 
the type of gear you'll need to climb them, the time of months of the year to climb them, all around safety. Everything's around safety. Mm -hmm. Master King was very conscious of safety, very conscious of safety first. So if you're really interested in this holy mountains as a place to serve humanity in a potent fashion, hour for hour, if you're in Los Angeles and you're going to spend an hour at home and you have the opportunity to go up on a Saturday afternoon and pray for an hour on Mount Baldy, the choice is made for you. Go up to Mount Baldy. Especially in the sign of a spiritual place. And especially. That's the most potent. So we probably ought to move on to this uh, next extract. Yes. This is the Master George King's extract and... Uh, this is like an eight-minute one, I believe. Right? This is a, an eight-minute extract, so settle into yourselves. These are very special times uh, in our history. These are unique times. This individual, listen with your heart to his words. Take it in. It's a very interesting extract, this one. All right, Mark, roll number six. By your service, you can throw a dazzling beam of scintillating white, vibrant energy into the darkness of a suffering world and raise it. You don't know what you do in your room at night when you perform the twelve blessings or when you throw your hands out and send a great surge of power through you or when you have your groups and you send out prayer for the world from your groups. You don't know what you're doing. You might be doing virtual miracles for all you know. You may be, quite easily. You don't know what good you are doing. I'll tell you, if all the groups were to stop doing this, I think the world would be a sorry place. And I think if all the groups were to do this more and more and more, it would be a better and better place. So, my friends, the next time you do it, Give it all you've got, not a half you've got, not a hundred percent, a hundred and one percent. Aetherius has given us some wonderful advice in the Aetherius Society. He says, do a job perfectly, and the next time you do it, do it better than that. And that's the best advice. Never let your standards fall down for any reason whatsoever. You're dead if you do. You're dead. Dead, brother, you've had it if your standards fall. So keep your standards high. Keep everything you do high. Try to do every job to the best of your ability. This is one mark of a good occultist. You know, if the materialists in America or any other country had any sense, the first question they'd ask a person, what's your metaphysical training? That is the first thing that would matter before his education. You know why? The true metaphysician is the man who does everything well. Whether he's working for a boss or for himself or for the world as a whole, he still tries to do everything to the best of his ability. He won't take a second best. That's the true metaphysician. And if a boss had any sense at all, that's the first question he'd ask. And if the man said, oh, I haven't had any metaphysical training, he'd give a man a chance in preference to him, as no matter what his degrees were, who had. So he would. 
because if he's a good metaphysician, he's a good man in every way. He's a man who tries to do everything good. And the next time you join your groups and so on, really put the whole of your heart and soul into your prayers, whatever they might be, or your practices, whatever they might, especially if they're in service to the world, and really go ahead. Whatever group it is, remember this, it's, it's wonderful advice. We're plugging this thing service. Why? Because you've got to repeat a thing over and over again before people fully understand it. The next time you do it, give it the lot. And when you've given it the lot, give it that bit more. And you won't regret it. You'll come away from that service and say, My great Scott, I really feel I've done something. And if you don't feel you've done anything, you haven't in this respect. If you're sending out prayer for the world and you don't feel that any energy's gone through you, it hasn't. So feel, relax into it, but really give it what you've got. And then you will do good. It is. By God, it is the jewel in the rock of attainment. Now, here we come to a part which is quite outstanding. In all the occult books up to date, it had, I'm sorry, not in all the occult books, but in some of the occult books <clears throat> up to date, it has been put down <clears throat> that in order to gain a great deep state, we've got to detach ourselves from civilization, from all things that it means, go into a cave or a retreat someplace. Other than that, we can't really uh, hit the high spots. Well now, Mars Sector 6 not only says something about this, but he's done something about this. Whosoever was in meditation when this freedom was delivered on Wednesday, February the 22nd, 1961, must have got a tremendous mental kick in the pants. Because when a person like Mars Sector 6 says, I, this I throw into the mental realms, it means he throws it into the mental realms. I remember the last time he threw something into the mental realms. <laughs> you saw those pictures of those 125,000 people marching against the atom bomb in, in England? You know who was directly responsible for that? A transmission given by Mars Sector 6 was directly responsible for this. Before this, the anti-atom bomb people in England couldn't muster 200 people. Then he gave this tremendous transmission. You are responsible. And he says, this do I throw into every mental realm in every known language upon earth. And then he made it clear about the dangers of the atom bomb. And my friends, the next meeting the anti-atom bomb people had, they had thousands turn up. And since that, they've had thousands come more and more. Doctors and scientists throughout the world, since this statement was made, came forward against the atom bomb. 
one speech given in May 1957, I think. was thrown into the mental realms. So when a master throws something into the mental realms, it's there. See what he says. One person who is rendering true spiritual service, not self-delusion, you've got to be careful of this, but the honest man, of course, is careful of it, but true spiritual service to those who need it is worth ten who retreat from the suffering of others in order to bring about a state of joy and peace within themselves. And this is his declaration. This declaration do I throw into every mental realm. I would inform those sadhus who in total disregard of human needs retreat into the wilderness. I would say Come you hence, for you are fools. Now, if you've studied occultism at all, you will see in this the culmination <clears throat> of the great occult change which I spoke about earlier on. The change from the retreat from civilization as it used to be, now come in among men and work among men. It makes you feel excited to be living in these days, really. It's, um, it's interesting that when he says it's a flip from what used to be to, to what is now. And it's something to really take home and really, um, we're, we're in the ground floor of, of a brand new um, path back to God on earth, really. It's, it's, uh, it's not, so, not so much a brand new one, but it, it, it's become the way to do it, and it has to be done now. The time is imperative to really jump in there and give this service and this love now. And it's... We're the beginning pilgrims, really, on that, on that change. During the 60s, there was the hippie generation that evolved into the 70s, and all of the people talked about the New Age. The New Age, the New Age, the New Age. And throughout these last 30 to 40 years, you see this transformation from the New Age hippie type of mentality moving into the yogic principles. Everyone's doing yoga, hatha yoga, different kinds of yoga, of course, health food is very big, you know, the types of food that you eat, and of course, mental imaging, processing, how do you think, is it the correct way of thinking? These type of things are an evolution of the movement that the masters speak of. The dawning of the age of Aquarius is upon us. We're moving towards the new world. However, what we need to understand, I think, began in the, this last excerpt, of our master, the master king. He speaks of everything that you do, do it with all of your ability. Do it 101%. And in the arena of service, there should be 101% of your effort put into 
the work itself, the task that you set before you. Not, I don't feel well today. No, I haven't had my breakfast. No, I'm thinking about the bill I have to pay or how much money I'm going to have to make to pay the bill. Set your mind to the task and do it 110%. That said, on the spiritual level, his concept, having lived with him as Brian and a few of us here, the Reverend Nielsen, we witnessed an individual who woke up in the morning and treated every task with an intense, dedicated, single-minded, determined way of saying, I'm going to either perform this to the best of my ability, and I'm going to do it with 101%, and the people that worked with him also needed to move in that direction as well. He had very little time to accomplish the tasks at hand. However, if a day was spent, it had to be spent with 100% dedication, 101% in your effort, and it could be a variety of tasks, not what you would consider spiritual. Things that were like would be uh, changing the oil of a vehicle, uh, checking a tape recorder to make sure that it was operating in case a cosmic transmission was going to come through in an emergency appeal for Earth to, to certain uh, manipulations to occur. He was always touching everything and made sure that it was either operational or that he understood how it operated. And, moreover, he had a wonderful, as we expressed last week, a wonderful love for everything that he touched, an appreciation for its value in the overall scheme of things in his daily life, which, in part, has affected all of us because of his dedication. Well, we can be thankful, too, for his, his ability to really hone in on finding the best things and doing things to the best of his ability um, because he did that in about 1962 or 63 with the recordings. He went out and researched um, with uh, Charles Abrahamson and, and uh, uh, Lenny Monique King um, which microphones to use for the recording of these extremely important transmissions. And he found uh, Telefunken, I think it's an ELM uh, 51, I think it was. And it's a superb microphone. Back then it was very expensive in its day, about $700. Um, but he felt that it reproduced the, the, the sound of the Cosmic Masters through his voice to the very best um, that he could find a microphone to do so. And interestingly enough, to this day, that microphone is considered to be the best microphone ever made. When um, uh, an associate of Bill Gates uh, wanted to buy um, the best microphone he could possibly find, he tracked down and had all the experts and talked to them and, and tested things out, and it turned out that they recommended the same vintage, the 1960s, Telefunken ELM-51. Uh, but he paid a bit more than $700 for it. He paid $18,000 for that microphone because it's considered the finest microphone. And that's what he did in, in so many aspects uh, of, of his life. And, it's, uh, and, and as Richard mentioned, he uh, required those around him to do the very best that we possibly could. This is from everything. Uh, 
driving a car to planting a bush to setting up a television to, to watch a, a program to everything. Everything had to be done perfectly and quickly. I mean, you couldn't, couldn't just take a long time and, and do something perfectly. No, no, no. It had to be done perfectly and quickly. It, was always, always, it, was, it wasn't a relaxing time around uh, the master. And here you have a master of the masters who had a firm vision, a firm grip on the future of mankind. Both the serious, horrible outcome of catastrophe, the serious horrible aspects of nuclear catastrophe and at the same time wielding his intelligence, his love for humanity through being available to be such a fine instrument so that the cosmic transmissions could come through him at any time, once again ladies and gentlemen, 24 hours, 7 days a week, 365 days, year after year after year, on standby. Why? Because each time, as we explained in the beginning of the nine freedoms, on the first freedom, not only was these precious teachings given to earth for us to study and to understand gradually or quickly throughout the years and generations ahead, but also we have here power, unique energies that were dispersed throughout the world whilst he was in this trance condition. Mm -hmm. So we have here a wonderful man, a master, who could foresee two eventualities, one of glory for all humanity, that all the planet would be living in peace, enlightened, or a horrible outcome repeating our history of the past. The Lumuria, Atlantis, right. and go back even further, Maldek, the asteroid belt. And that's why he had his, um, his, his absolute determination to, to do everything as perfectly as possible, because he knew the stakes. He knew the stakes. And he wasn't doing it just to, to practice a certain um, yogic principle. He knew the stakes were extremely high. And he tried to the best of his ability to get that feeling across to all those around him. All the more reason why he repeats over and over again, study the teachings, read the books, re listen to the cassettes, listen, read, re listen, read, and absorb this wondrous energy that flows to you and upon you when you contact these teachings over and over and over again. Because that's the way this inspiration which comes from the great masters, through your higher self, and it imbues your consciousness. And then you have insight, inspiration, understanding, skills that you've never known you had before. Magic that you hadn't possessed, you now wield it. Your life changes. And these basic freedoms that are a result of bravery and love, want, disease, one's lower self, all these different aspects start to meld away and you open the door to your true divine heritage. And that's what we're talking about here. I wanted to just jump on one, one point that uh, Master King mentioned in his, his extract there where he said, if you don't feel it, nothing's happening. 
And it might be a little bit discouraging, but what it really tells you to do is to don't just rely on, on your imagination. You know, really make that energy go through you. Just like he does everything as well as he possibly can, he's telling us to do everything as well as we possibly can, especially prayer. Don't just kind of put your hands up and then just say a prayer and say, well, I know that it's going to go through me because I'm doing the right thing. He tells you to do what you possibly can to really get that energy to flow through you and really learn to feel that energy flow through you. And one good way of doing that, uh, to, to start to learn that, is to go to a holy mountain. Because you're going to have a lot better shot at feeling the energy if you're on a holy mountain. Or Operation Prayer Power, where you have 30 or 50 people behind you saying mantra or with you. Then you can really start to feel the energy that much better. And the other secret that he gave one time is one of the one of the secrets of metaphysics is memory. It's memory. If you have an experience somewhere on a mountain or in Operation Prayer Power or in the wilderness or at home doing a prayer and you remember that feeling, you can then at another time, another place, try and recall that memory, recall that feeling, and you'll bring about the same conditions. You will learn to feel the energy flow through you and when you feel it, as he tells you in, in this statement, it is flowing through you. I think that's a, that's a good That's a, a good, good point, good Brian. Point. That's an excellent Keep point. Keep in mind. It's not easy. It's hard. It's like love is sacrifice, real sacrifice. Service is sacrifice. It's your brother's keeper. There is a burden that's placed upon you, and sometimes living in the city, you have a dross, you have a weight, you get sticky stuff, because you're, as you evolve in this process of service, you become naturally more sensitized. And as you're sensitized, you begin to feel many people's feelings, and sometimes when you're in a situation, you get kind of imbued with these uh, energies of other people. What can you do? Well... The Master Therius gave to the world a very beautiful, powerful, direct method by which you can cleanse your aura, cleanse your physical structure, cleanse the subtle bodies. That is the practice of the presence. So tonight, at the closing, I think that possibly we'll ask the Reverend Kniep here to guide us through the practice of the presence tonight. It's available, by the way through the Ethereum Society. And the Violet Flame, which is a part of this practice, has been a practice and known, and actually was provided to the planet or to humanity through members of the Great White Brotherhood uh, quite a few years ago. So it's nothing new there. But the combination of these three flames in such a short time can correct and bring you back to, in the world of computer uh, explanations, Default mode, in a word. You're purged. You're purged. You, you come back to a, a homostasis, a, you know, a, a balance, a reboot. Yeah, there you go. I'd like to um, just read this one prayer from the 11th blessing. And it occurred to me that the second half of this prayer explains, describes 
the first three freedoms, and that is, of course, bravery, love, and service. And this is, again, like I say, from the, the 11th blessing. So if I'm going to read it, might as well place your hands up and get some energy going out as well. But especially um, tune in once, once it gets to the part where um, fall upon the heads of all these earth children really describes the first freedoms. Almighty, wondrous Jehovah, let the light from your heart, let the love from your heart, let the power from your heart fall upon the heads of all these earth children so that they may be made strong and wise and capable of unselfish love, so that they may be able always to render service to their brothers. Now let's all place the left hand on the solar plexus, the right hand over the left, Sitting up straight, relaxed shoulders, feet flat on the floor, breath long, deep, slow, mind clear and at peace. Then send your mind upwards, high above the world. Visualize a brilliant, scintillating white light. Then bring this light down through the ethers, down filling the head and brain with this wondrous power of Almighty God. And bring this energy, feel this energy, flow down further, filling the heart center, located just in front of the breastbone. Once you feel it there, feel this vibration, then send your mind down to the wondrous goddess Earth. Humbly request from her, her violet flame of transmutation, and allow this to flow up through your feet, Upwards, further through your legs, upwards into this heart center. <coughs> Feel its presence in the same heart center. And then visualize just above the top of the head a golden globe representing the spark of God within each one of us. And your love and your compassion to this spark of God. And then bring together and amalgamate the white light and the violet flame in the heart center and send these energies upwards in sacrifice into this golden globe. And then Gently request that the golden rays of spirituality from this spark of God 
flow down gently to every aspect of you. Let this golden energy rain down to your aura, to your physical structure, gradually filling up every aspect of you into a golden ovoid, suspended in space, perfectly at peace, becoming one with God itself. Om Om Om. It is done. That is the practice of the presence. We have it available. It's again on our website, www.etherius.org. Contained in the Practices of Etherius. Yes, a practice. wonderful little book. And also in the book, Realize Your Inner Potential. May 19th, yes, yes. Saturday. Uh, well, there's two ways. One is you can come here, and then you can carpool to Mount Baldy. And you come here at a quarter to eight in the morning. Um, and the other way is to go direct to Mount Baldy. Um, but if you come here at quarter to eight, then uh, you can carpool. And it's pretty much most of the day, if you go to the lower level, there's, there's two levels we go to. One is a lower level, which is a, um, a chair ride up, and then about a 15-minute walk quite an easy walk, and then there's many, many people there. The other way is about an hour and a half to two hours of a walk up to the 9,000-foot level, which is much more rigorous. Um, and the lower level would get you back into Hollywood probably about uh, four, and the higher level you probably wouldn't get back into Hollywood until more like around six. That's a whole day. Yeah. Yeah. But you, know, you need water hat, sunscreen, a little bit of food, good shoes, the things that you can imagine. So if those of you interested, contact the Ethereum Society and get on our mailing list, go to our homepage, and you'll see a box that you can type in your email address, and we will send you the upcoming events such as this forthcoming pilgrimage to Mount Baldy, of which there are several throughout the summer, by the way, so we have Five. opportunities. Five. So I'm going to end here uh, with... Mars Sector 6's final two sentences of the third freedom, and we'll end tonight's class. Service, my friends, is greatness. Serve and be great. May be everlasting. Mm. Good night. Thank you very much. This brings to a conclusion the third freedom, service. Next week, we will continue our study of the nine freedoms with the fourth freedom, enlightenment. For those of you who wish to inquire further, please contact us at www.atherius.org, your cosmic connection. Thank you.